welcome back to Area 51 and a Half, where we talk about all things science fiction, fantasy, horror, and pop culture. I am your host, John Allen, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Snyderman501, Nick Snyder. Nick, how can our aliens get a hold of us? They can find us on Twitter at the area 51 h also the same on Instagram and TikTok. You know, Nick, in preparation for the show this week, mm-hmm. I had a thought. We have not actually discussed doctor who at all yet no we haven't we're going to i think at a on a future show but yep. I, but the thought occurred to me that in the massive amount of decades that doctor who has been on from the classic doctor who starting back in the 1960s i yeah, want to say yeah. to the modern doctor who there's only been one female doctor being jodie whittaker yes correct and i had this thought i don't care if they do it as part of the series i don't care if they do it as a movie but BBC, you need to do this. And folks, I'm going to give you that tantalizing little bit of the thing that you never knew you wanted until you heard me say it. I want to see a movie of Doctor Who where we have some stunt casting as a male doctor. Mm-hmm. Okay? He's on a mission. Kind of like the way the James Bond movies open. Right. And that doctor, of course, gets killed, if you will. The doctor, of course, regenerates. Mm-hmm. Open up the TARDIS doors, and it's Helen Mirren. Oh my God, that would be amazing. I, I would, I would actually enjoy that thoroughly. She would be fun. I want to see Helen Mirren as Doctor Who. I would absolutely love that. I love Helen Mirren. She's one of my favorite actresses, and I think that would be actually a really great choice. And actually, before they chose the new Doctor Shuti Gatwa. They Helen Mirren's name was kind of bandied about a lot along with a lot of other people, but that was I, I kind of like when they choose a new doctor because it gives the fans chance to speculate. Right, and you know what's really kind of interesting about the Shuti Gatwa choice is that now we're getting the diversity. Yes, exactly. So it's, it's not just an old white dude anymore. Exactly, exactly. And right now they are filming the 60th anniversary as well. And David Tennant's going to be in that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there we go. It feels like yesterday was the 50th anniversary. Now the 60th anniversary is coming up. Well, aliens, we have a lot of things that we're going to talk about. And usually we would give the spoiler alert just on our main topic. But there's so much that we have to talk about that we're giving you our spoiler alert now. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So, Nick, we have finished Obi-Wan Kenobi. We have finished Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, you know my thoughts on this. I know, I know, I know. Star Wars, to me, has really been completely ruined. Now, that's okay. I can take out some of the stuff from just the original trilogies and maybe just pay attention to that. It is so difficult, though, because as I've said before... Wow, on what plane did Darth Vader make C-3PO? Hello, that is so stupid. So, I'm going to give this a caveat. I really thought that Obi-Wan Kenobi was really well done. To me, that would have been a better part of the trilogy, of the the, the prequels. prequels. Yeah, I can see that. And I have to say, it gave me the best game of Rock Vader Sabres ever. You went there, didn't you? I went. I had <laughs> to go there. I, it was there. It presented itself. Uh, see, for me as a fan of the prequels, there was the point when Obi-Wan 
is in the is at the bottom of the pit and Vader is standing above him and I just wanted Vader to say who has the high ground now. <laughs> but well, Nick, Nick, I could have I could have been worse with it. I could have been worse. I could have called it Rock Vader Sabres Lizard Spock. <laughs> I don't like you right now. Okay. Speaking, ever- speaking of things we don't like. Speaking of things we don't like, this is rough for us to say. Legendary actor James Kahn has passed away. Oh, yeah. That, that's a rough one. James Kahn is a... He's a legend in the business. And... He's just so iconic. Yeah, and especially in some of the movies that he's been in. Because if you, the top three that I can think of just off the top of my head, you're looking at The Godfather, Misery, and Elf. Well, and that's the thing is, like, The Godfather, him as Sonny is, and that's actually one of my favorite performances in that movie. Yeah. He is so wild in that role. Well, but it also gets along that, that idea of getting Michael becoming the head of the family yes. because Sonny's death is so tragic and so traumatic. Yeah. And so unexpected because he's completely set up at the toll booth. Yeah, and that that was that was that was just heartbreaking to see because I I despite the fact Sonny was kind of a sob, I still really like Sonny as a character and seeing him get just riddled with bullets like that. Well, oh my god! But he stands up for his sister, as you recall. Yes, you know, beats the crap out of his his brother in law for beating the crap out of her. Well, and that that's that's the thing is like one of the main the main themes of the Godfather series, not just the first movie, but the main theme is family. And Sonny really, really pushes that forward because he is very, very ferociously protective of his family. Yeah. And look at the chemistry that he had in Misery with Kathy Bates. Right. I mean, that's really tough because it's just the two of them. That's it. Yeah. That's all you were bouncing off of each other. And I, I like that movie because James Conn, who is this normally kind of, like he's a good actor, but he normally plays like a tough guy role. And here he is, completely helpless, scared, everything, with this woman who is just obsessed with him. Right. It is such a wild, like, you know, like that's the thing, James Conn, I can say a lot of his roles are just wild. He's so good. Yeah, and, and even then we get this nice comedic almost Abbott and Costello playing the straight man in the comedy of Elf where he he was having a hard time with it he wasn't getting the ferocity that he wanted and Favreau John Favreau directed he finally says to him be sunny be sunny Corleone yeah that makes sense because be sunny Corleone reacting to your kids in Elf and that's it. I mean, that's, that's yeah. hilarious. I, you know, I saw Elf for the first time this past year, this past Christmas, and I put it off because I'm not the biggest Will Ferrell fan. Neither am I, but I do like him in that role. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing is, like with Will Ferrell, and with with me, with Will Ferrell, I find he is much better when he's working with other producers and directors instead of doing his own stuff. Yeah, and there are certain jokes. I said it before. I said it on our Christmas episode. There are certain jokes that I always find funny. And I start laughing before it's even happening on the screen because I know it's happening. And that moment where they're all there having their spaghetti dinner and he he downs the two liter of Coke, lets out that enormous belch and says, did you hear that? I mean, I don't know why that cracks me up every <laughs> Cause, time. Because it's legitimately funny. It's Well, because it is it's, it's legitimately stupid because yes. it's like, how could anybody but not hear that? It's so stupid. That's what makes it funny. Exactly. Um you know, speaking of James Caan and Christmas, though, one of my all-time favorite 
James Caan kind of uh, cameos is in Santa's sleigh with <laughs> Goldberg from WCW and Emily DeRaven and Fran Drescher and Chris Catan. He plays the head of this rich family household who all despise each other. And Goldberg, as Santa Claus, a murderous demonic Santa Claus, comes down the chimney and proceeds to murder every single one of them. And it is, it was so unexpected to see James Caan, of all people, there. Yeah, I mean, this is what's happening now. All the Hollywood legends are getting older. They're starting to, to leave us, and they're leaving us with some rich legacies. To my surprise... Uh, he didn't win any Oscars, but he was nominated, of course, for playing Sonny Corleone. Mm-hmm. And James Conn is just one of those powerhouse actors that we will all miss. Yeah, yeah. Nick, the other thing that has dropped for us that we have seen, and hopefully you out there in listening land, aliens have seen it too, Stranger Things Season 4. Oh, the finale of Season 4. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um. Okay. Where <clears throat> do the Duffer Brothers go from there? I don't know, because like when we when they left us, the Hawkins is essentially turned into a giant portal to the upside down. Yeah, and the only thing I can think is that the season five is going to be some post-apocalyptic hellscape. And you know, it's kind of funny because there's a a very small spat, if you will. It's not really a spat, but I mean, Millie Bobby Brown has famously said they should just kill some characters off because like the cast is huge at this point. Yeah. You know, and uh, the Duffer Brothers came back and says, well, that be respect to our darling Millie, who we love. Uh, this isn't Westeros. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's it's not. It's, it's a different. Yeah. It's a different thing altogether. We are, they do introduce someone each season. To get killed. Us, yeah, for <laughs> us to get attached to and then watch die. For the, for the first season, it justice, was Barb. Justice for Barbara. <laughs> for the first season, it was Barb. For the second season, it, Bob. it was Bob. And for, and for the third season, it was, to a lesser extent, Alexi. Yeah, and now it was uh, Eddie Munson. Eddie Munson, yeah. Well, they, they kind of introduced us to a few different characters this season. Like, I thought Chrissy was going to be a... Oh, I thought she was going to be a major player. And yeah. that that was a very shocking death and a shocking way into was... the, into the storyline. But you know what? I get it. I get why they did that. Yeah, I felt, I felt with cr- the first death with Chrissy... This was the Duffer Brothers going, you're not ready for this. Hold on to your hats. It's time to go. Yeah, and I think that that's true. And they did give us that very epic metal guitar shredding scene. Not as epic, in my opinion, as Mad Max Fury Road. It's a close second. But it is a very, very close second. And I I just, uh, I feel sorry for all the thirsty girls out there that just (laughs) fell in love with Eddie because he's not going to be around for season five. Yeah, yeah. I I really liked him. I loved the chemistry that he had with Dustin. I loved, I just, you know, I love the way these characters interact with well, each I other. Well, I like that moment because here's the thing. I grew up in the 80s. I was a teenager in the 80s, so I was about the age that the kids are. Yeah. And um, we, we called them hairbags. That's what they were called regionally. I don't know if that, that extended elsewhere metalheads whatever right and i knew some of them and they were some of the sweetest guys but always had this this bad reputation about them well that was the thing when when i first laid eyes on eddie i thought he was going to be like some high school bully that was my first impression right because that's kind of what the tropes have led me to believe right and then and then we see him and it's 
he's such a cool guy. Like, I would love to hang out with Eddie Munson. Yeah, l- listen, all these, these hair bags had my back. Like, yeah. I, I was kind of nerdy, if you will. I was not one of the popular kids. But if anybody picked on me, the, the hair bags that I knew, look out. They're, yeah, they're going to defend me. And that's the thing. Like, most guys I know who are into metal are... Nor, or for the most part, really, really cool guys. Yeah. And the reason we called them hairbags is because they had the long hair. So, I mean, you yeah. were either the, the yuppie type or you were the, the hairbag type. You know, and I, sh- I, I should say all the guys and girls that yeah. are in metal. Yeah. But anyway, um, the the finale, that final battle, well, not final battle as it turns out because Vecna did not die. But that second battle between Olivin and Vecna, one Henry, whatever you want to call him, that was brutal. It's Vecna slash Henry slash one. <laughs> that's the official thing. It was, remember, because that's what Max says. The canon? No. No. Oh. Vecna slash Henry slash one. No, it wasn't Max. It wasn't Max. It was, no. um, um, it was, oh, no, it, it was Robin. Right. Yeah. It was Robin. Who, by the way, I absolutely love. I love the fact in this season they started Nancy and Robin as kind of antagonistic towards, towards each other. And then, as they got to know each other very quickly, they became became good friends. And that just, I love that type of well, stuff. Well, yeah, but I think that's because Nancy was struggling with feelings that she had for Steve that were left over. Yeah. And Robin was there, and Nancy doesn't know that Robin's, you know, switches for the other team. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah, I, I absolutely love Robin. Maya Hawk is, uh, is just great. But this battle between Olivia and Vecna, it, it's... There is consequences to this battle. One, Max didn't die, but she is in a coma. She's technically brain dead. It seems that way. Yeah. I mean, they're going to bring her back in some way, shape, or form. I hope so, because that's a not a good way to, to go with Max. Well, and that's the thing. Somebody somebody was, uh, was likening Stranger Things Season 4 to Empire Strikes Back, and I can see that with the ending, because when you leave Empire Strikes Back, all of this crappy stuff has happened. Han is with was with Boba Fett. Right. The the rebels have lost their base. Luke has found out that Obi Wan and Yoda have been lying to him. He finds out that his dad is the bad guy. It doesn't leave you with that warm fuzzy feeling inside. You makes you feel kind of hollow, and that's very much how Stranger Things season four leaves you because. It's left you in a pit of despair. All I know is I, I can't wait for season five and it's going to come in 2024. Dudes, I am getting old. Please. <laughs> why why make me wait so long? Um, I might not make it. You never know. Anyway, um, I'm looking forward to anything that the Duffer brothers are going to do. I think that they are spectacular storytellers. This is a horror is going in a good way. When you have Jordan Peele and you have Ari Aster and you have the Duffer Brothers. And Mike Flanagan. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a good time for horror, even though it's not in the forefront. Yeah, yeah, it's it really is. I am enjoying a lot of the horror that's coming out. There, I mean, as to be expected, expected with any horror, there's some crap coming out. There's a lot of really good stuff, too, and that makes up for it. And speaking of horror, it's time for Nick's Roundup! Alright, so we're c- jumping off of Stranger Things here into the Roundup. They're NECA, which is one of my favorite toy companies. They make more high-end quality collectibles. They've announced a crossover 
series. They did a crossover series recently with Ninja Turtles and Cobra Kai, which, you know, makes sense to an extent. But now there is a crossover coming out, I believe, this fall with Ninja Turtles and Stranger Things. Now, the first two box sets... The first two box sets are Leonardo and Eleven, and uh, the next one is Raphael and Hopper. It's One of the really neat things is that they've chosen to do the original comic book appearance, which I like. But I'm, I'm kind of interested in seeing where this goes. Now, something else that's come up in the past week, they have um, a new RoboCop video game. A first-person shooter RoboCop video game has been announced. I'm excited for that. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it puts you right in the shoes of Alex Murphy and you're going around New Detroit. And it's very much based off of the original film series, not the remake. So it'll be interesting to see who they have voice acting. Yeah, yeah. Now, another thing I'm really kind of excited about. This is this goes into my whole, whole nerd thing. So I'm a big dinosaur guy, as you know, John. Yeah. A new dinosaur. And I'm just a dinosaur. There you go. Um, a new dinosaur has been discovered. It's a theropod similar to Ty- Tyrannosaurus Rex, and it's even got the tiny little arms and everything. And they have named it Marexis Gigas. And for anyone who is a fan of Game of Thrones, specifically the books, you're going to know that is based off the name is based off of one of the dragons from Game of Thrones, from a song of uh, fire and ice. So yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, moving on from that, we have Captain America 4 is in the works. They have chosen their director. Now, I'm excited for this because I really like the direction that uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier went. But the director is the guy that did Cloverfield Paradox, which I like to an extent, was but was a bit of a messy movie. But I'm thinking with something a little bit more direct, like Captain America, it's going to be a little bit better. Right. And John, we're going to move into a movie I know you're, well, I'm looking forward to it, but I know you're really looking forward to we it. We have been doing our watch. This is the, the the penultimate of the Monster Watch. From at this point forward, I think that we're going to be switching it to a Monster Countdown. Yeah, at this point, yeah. So the Monsters has, has wrapped filming in Bulgaria. Uh, Rob Zombie has posted his last set pictures from the live set. And now they are going home and they're going to edit this thing. And hopefully soon we'll have a release date. I'm hoping around Halloween. Yeah. That makes the most sense. And Nick, I just want to talk about that for just a minute. Of course. Um, Because here's the thing. There's a lot of Munster fans that are on Butch Patrick's official Munster page. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm one of them. I'm on there, of course. Um, But there is a lot of people that sit there and they, they're, they're trashing this thing already because... They only want the original series. Now, that might sound a little hypocritical of me to say this because of the Star Wars thing. Yeah. But there's a difference. All of the iterations of the monsters that have been good or bad since the original cast, at its base, still keep the monsters pure. Yes. They don't do any stunt kind of weird things like making Darth Vader make C-3PO. Um. I want to say this to all those Munster fans. First of all, there were casting changes within the first season. Beverly yes. Owens left and Pat Reese came in as Marilyn, specifically with Marilyn. When they did their first movie, like legitimate theater movie, the producers thought that Pat Priest was just too old to be playing Marilyn and they cast Debbie Watts. Right. 
So, Munster fans, you've already had three actresses playing Marilyn from the original group. Mm -hmm. There was a whole series, Munsters Today, which brought people in. This is the point. With all these new iterations, it brings new fans in and they want to see the new thing. Rob Zombie loves the Munsters. Yep. This is one of the things that has probably um, shaped who he is. He is not going to do a bad job with this. Just wait till it comes out and give it a shot. So I was looking at one of the video games. I played a Star Wars game called Jedi Fallen Order. Now, it's a neat game because they have Cameron Monaghan not just playing the main character of Cal Kestis, but also giving his likeness to the character. But in this game, there's a flashback to Cal as a young Padawan during Order 66. He's running from the, the clone troopers. And his, um, his, his uh, Jedi Master, his teacher, is this large alien character... And I just recently realized that he's voiced by Grandpa, the new Grandpa Munster himself, Daniel Robot. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, I, I like looking into certain actors' backgrounds to see what else they do. It's a lot of fun. You can oh, find yeah. a lot of, lot of cross-references, you know? There's a video, I think I posted it on our Facebook page, where Daniel Robot goes back to the set of The Fugitive, which he was in. Yeah. And he took this tumble down the hill, and he said, I look worse than I am. But he says, like, you know, don't do your own stunts kind of thing. But to me, Daniel Roebuck seems like a very sweet guy. Um, and I, I I think the makeup that he's done, and I think, well, he didn't do the makeup. The makeup that they've done and what I've seen of his acting and the trailer, I think out of everybody, he's going to really nail the Count Grandpa Munster yeah, I think, so I, well. I think he's going to be what Carl Urban was to Bones with what he is to Grandpa or Munster. Or Zachary Quinto to Spock. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's going to be great. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see. And with that, Nick, it's time for our main topic. It is... Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Well, ladies and gentlemen, aliens, we went and we saw at the drive-in Thor, Love and Thunder. And John, I, I think we have a bit of a different view on the film. No, I you have a different view on the film. <laughs> I don't have a different view well, on the film. I've yeah. got a great view on the film. and <laughs> So let, let's talk about that for a second. So the, the overall reaction has not been positive. Uh, I saw one um, reviewer that I really like refer to it as a dumpster fire. <laughs> I saw another reviewer refer to it as the second worst Phase 4 film or Phase Bore film Yeah. Uh, after Doctor Strange. And I, I, I saw one where the title of it was uh, How Taika Waititi Ruined the MCU. <laughs> wow, that's a stretch, but okay. I liked the movie. It was, I will sit here and I will call it what it was. It was dumb, stupid fun. And I enjoyed it on a very guttural level. I laughed a lot. I enjoyed the characters to an extent. There were, there were some characterizations I wasn't enjoying. But for the most part, I'll watch Chris Hemsworth, like, read the phone book. Dude's awesome. Um, I love Natalie Portman. I really, really like Tessa Thompson. The, the cast is fantastic. 
I they're... oh yeah okay you're right the cast is fantastic but the cast didn't come up to that level that they should have of fantasticness except Christian Bale as Gore, Gore the God yes so there's the thing and this I think you have some really valid points on this but let me just go ahead and say that I think Gore the God Butcher as portrayed by Christian Bale or as some of the jokes online have said atheist Bale <laughs> have um. I think that is honestly one of the best villains in the MCU. I will say he is probably the second best villain that I've seen, except for Thanos. I really felt that he was a fantastic villain. He was scary. He was threatening. He was gross. Like, he was so horrifying. Yeah. Um, so I let you speak. <laughs> yeah, go on. You're entitled to your wrong opinion. <laughs> I hate it when you say that, but go on. <laughs> The problem is this. It was a mess. It was a... It's the writing. It's really just the writing. It was... I wanted to love this. You know I wanted to love this. Because I love me some Hemsworth. You know, I am not... I'm not going to sit there and say that they didn't try. The problem is that what worked in Ragnarok does not work in Love and Thunder. Okay? Can... Like, it's. it started off with a very deep tone a very scary tone a very uh heavy tone and they didn't continue that along and as except in those scenes with gore the god butcher and then by the end of it it keeps just getting weaker and so that there isn't really this grandiose big battle at the end the humor the humor takes thor back to being an idiot and we've already seen Thor progress beyond that point. In Ragnarok, he becomes a true leader of his people. Mm-hmm. And he has, if you want the, the theme of lost, well, he's lost three quarters of his people. He's lost his home planet. He's lost his dad. He's lost his mom. He's lost his, his adopted brother. He's lost his entire family. He hasn't been with Jane in for, I don't know, for how long. But he also lost Heimdall as well, who's yeah, like a brother to his, him. Yeah, basically his best friend. Yeah. His, his frat friends, except for Lady Sif. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Warriors Three got. So he has lost all of these things. If those, if that's the view you want to take, but then to start it off, so that we see him, and I thought honestly that there was going to be some sort of outing with him and the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. But no, when we meet him, the Guardians of the Galaxy are just bored as heck with him, and they find him stupid and annoying, and they want to be rid of him as quickly as they can. And the writing does that as quickly and lazily and inconveniently as they can let's just get rid of them and away we go that's the thing in in endgame when when they flew off with thor with the guardians of the galaxy flew off with thor i was really expecting a legit thor guardians of the galaxy crossover and instead we got maybe five minutes worth of screen time maybe five minutes worth of screen time in the guardians see and that's that's where thor is funny yeah. Thor's funny when he has either a cultural misunderstanding or things are happening to him. Yeah, yeah. Like, Thor is... <clears throat> Thor... The character of Thor is essentially a rich boy from another country. He doesn't quite understand the customs of Earth, but he likes them. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the happiest times I've seen him on Earth is when he had that never-ending cup of beer from Doctor Strange. Yeah, but the, uh, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, because this this speaks to the comedy. They don't have rabbits and raccoons on Asgard. No. So that was always funny, where he kept calling Rocket 
rabbit. A rabbit. Yeah. It's like, let's go, rabbit. Because he doesn't know the difference. Exactly. It's not that he's being stupid. The comedy isn't stupid. The comedy is clever. Whereas the comedy that they did with Thor in this just felt stupid. Yeah. And, and I make no bones about that. I make no bones about that. It was stupid comedy, and I enjoyed the stupid comedy. One of the things that I absolutely loved that I thought was actually a really, not really that stupid and really, really good running gag, and honestly, only Taika Waititi could have done this gag, were the goats. Oh my god, I love the goats. Tooth- I, I will give you that, I loved the goats. Tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder. So for those of you who are listening that don't know, when goats are in distress, they scream. Oh, I got news for you. They don't even have to be in distress. Goats, oh, really? Goats just scream. It's what they, it's what <laughs> they do. <laughs> well, I, see, there's my thing. I always thought they kind of uh, made like I mean, a boss sound, like a sheep. No. But they scream, and no. I didn't know that. Just for just for craps and giggles, they scream. Because so, goats are weird. These two goats proceed to scream <laughs> throughout this entire film at, at the most inopportune points at times as well. And it just... It, it just was funny. And that's where Taika Waititi's humor shines. But the goats should not outshine everybody else. I'll agree with that. And that's the problem I'm having with this, is the fact that you mentioned Doctor Strange and that moment. And again, as I said, Thor is always funniest when something is happening to him, or he doesn't understand something. Mm-hmm. And so when he goes to Bleecker Street to meet Doctor Strange in Ragnarok for the first time, and he's kind of caught in all of... Doctor Strange's time-bending magic, and he's falling down the stairs, or he's leaning against a bookcase that suddenly disappears, and it's slapstick at its best. That was funny. That was funny. Because, again, we're laughing with Thor, not at him. Whereas most of the jokes in this one felt very stale to me, and the best that they could get, except the goats, was a (laughs) out of me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Again, I like the humor. I was fine with it. But let, let's talk about that for a minute. That speaks to the disjointed tone of the movie. It starts off very heavy, and then it gets very, very, very stupidly light. And then it gets heavy again. And then it gets very, very stupidly light. And so, then heavy again. And, and, and it's sort of this back and forth that didn't really work. I wanted a tone, yes. But that tone should have been the darker tone. Because we are dealing with Jane's cancer here, too. Yeah. Straight out of the comics, it's one of the best Thor comics going. One of the best stories gives us Lady Thor or the Mighty Thor. Um, it's it's so rich and it deserved a better adaptation. Yeah, yeah. It, it deserved more than than what it got. Well, the good thing is Jane's cancer isn't regarded in the same way that Lisa's mom's cancer is in the room, but it's still kind of it's not the main focus that it should be it is for jane but i feel like there should be more time spent with jane getting to know her while she's while she's dealing with this because and maybe this speaks to the diagnosis of of someone being diagnosed with cancer but she just kind of tries to ignore it as she is the mighty thor does that make sense to you yeah okay so one of the other issues i and this kind of speaks to the writing problems I had with this movie. But one of the issues I did have with it uh, that you actually brought up to me earlier was Gore, as good a villain as he is, got progressively weaker as the story went on. 
you see what he has done in the first act of the movie. He's killed he's killed gods. He has brutalized and murdered gods, especially this one giant god who Thor says is the nicest guy in the, the galaxy. But anyway, I digress. What we see in the third act is not the gore we were told about. And that becomes a bit of a problem. The stakes are already high. You got children in the balance. You got Jane in the balance. Like, it's it's intense. But I feel like Thor's final battle with Gore was a little too easy. Yeah, and, and I kind of feel in some ways that because a, a big chunk of the journey is them trying to convince all these other gods to come and do battle against Gore the God Butcher, and they, they're frivolous and they're... They don't care about humanity. They're they're self-entitled, whatever. And so they decide that they're not going to do it. I think that an opportunity was missed where you could have had a better parting of ways with the Guardians and then have them come back to help Thor. Yes, yes, I agree with that completely. Let's go back, though, to those other gods, specifically Russell Crowe as Zeus. (sighs) Okay. I, like I said, I like this movie, but it does have its problems. I will admit that. And one of the biggest problems this movie had was Russell Crowe's portrayal as Zeus. I don't know what he's, he was going for here, but dude sounded like Mario. Well, he was going for a Greek accent because Zeus is Greek. Yeah, he sounded like Mario. And someone should have told him that he sounded like Mario because it, it was bad. It almost felt stereotypical and racist, to be honest. Yeah, that's my point. Almost. I Almost. mean, I don't want to ever accuse Taika Waititi. Here's, here's the thing. I think at this point, Taika Waititi is just basking in the euphoria of his thruple. I agree with He's, that. He doesn't see... This movie did not seem focused. And that could very well be be because he's not focused. I don't think he is. Now that, that, again, I don't know. I don't know his personal life. I don't know him. Love to meet him. I think he's genius. This is the first Taika Waititi movie... I have not liked. And one of the problems is that he made his character of Quark a main character. And you pointed it out, and I agree with you. The story was kind of... Parts of the story were told from Quark's point of view. So when we we see this movie start up, um, Korg is narrating it. This is after the main, the main credits. We see Korg narrating the story of the Space Viking, which is cool, by the way, but it kind of delves into... like. When we meet Lady Sif in this film, Lady Sif is, well, Jamie Alexander, who plays Lady Sif, is massively overacting. Yeah, and there was, that was kind of evident earlier on, too. There was Mm. some of that that was going on, which was, it didn't sit right. That, for me, is a directorial choice because Korg is telling the story. That's how it works in my head, and I think that is accurate. But go for that completely. Yeah, it's... It was. It, you're right. It was disjointed, but it's. I enjoyed it, despite the fact it was disjointed. I, I loved Chris Hemsworth as Thor. I really. I liked the core character, but it was a little sure. bit too much of him. And, and that's kind of the point, because again, I'm going to compare an apple to an apple. I hate comparing apples to oranges. So apple to apple. Ragnarok versus Love and Thunder. Cork and Ragnarok was those moments of hilarity that we knew we needed. Mm-hmm. Korg in Love and Thunder was a distraction and an annoyance that we did not need. Yeah, I can, 
again, I like the character, but yeah, I can I can agree with that. The 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 there's a point when we think Korg has died, and that created more confusion for me than anything because I'm like, isn't this narrated by Korg later on in the future? Like, is that not this? And, and then, confused is probably the best emotion and description that you can give to this movie. Yeah, I can agree with that. It was very um, confusing to watch. Um, I'm not the only one who has said so. I, I mean, uh, um, my, I asked my friend Mark, because he saw it. He said, have you seen Love and Thunder? He wants to know if we're talking about it on the podcast. Yes, Mark, we are. Hi, Mark. Uh, <laughs> but that's what he said. He felt like it was very lazy. You know, it's like, oh, well, we need to get to these plot points and we need to dismiss the Guardians of the Galaxy. So we're going to do that in the laziest way we can. Oh, and we need to catch up with Jane. And OK, we're going to do that really quick and skim over that. And it just felt like a lot of stuff was just kind of skimmed over. And what suffered from that is one of the best characters that comes out of the Thor movies is Darcy. We see her for five minutes. Yeah, she's in there for five minutes. And, I, you know, I'll be honest with you, you can never have enough Cat Dannings. And five minutes, not enough, well, not nearly enough. Because she, Darcy is typically that sar- that sarcastic humor that has been needed in the Thor movies. Yeah, and she wasn't in Ragnarok, of course. So, but I mean, in Ragnarok again, it became very situational because he's got that issue with a very drunk Valkyrie. He's got that issue with the Hulk. He's got and he's got all these things that he's trying to amalgamate in his mind this whole kind of um where do i go from here because i have to fight against hella and i need people to come and fight against hella with me and i'm stuck in this planet hulk (laughs) situation yeah that's where the comedy works especially when we see the hulk come out for the first time and that's where thor is thor and he goes yes i know him he's a friend from work that is still one of my favorite lines in the entire mcu that is a brilliant line yeah and they used to put in those wonderful little easter eggs too like when he's talking to loki so remember that time i turned you into a frog straight from the comic books yeah all the comic book fans are going to get it they're going to laugh at that it doesn't take it away there is no loss of gravitas within that also jeff goldblum versus russell crowe yeah. That kind of character worked for Jeff Goldblum. It didn't really work for Russell Crowe. No, and the, the reason... Because he's Zeus. Well, like, here's the thing. Jeff Goldblum is Jeff Goldblum. He is a personality. I love Jeff Goldblum. I think he's a fantastic actor. But he is a very charismatic personality. We we don't know much about his personal life. And that creates an air of mystery around him. Russell Crowe is a drunken jerk, has been a drunken <laughs> jerk in public many times. I think it was him that, that um, no, it was Kiefer Sutherland that attacked the Christmas tree. He Russell Crowe <laughs> smacked somebody in the face with a telephone at a hotel. Yes. Like, I'm sorry, I don't want to see the Hollywood bad boys playing these grandiose characters. I want to see someone with some mystery behind them playing Zeus. But here's where it goes, goes to. Zeus is just this fat guy who is like all about we're going to have an orgy later come join the orgy and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and it's just all about fun and so you sit there and you go well, wait a minute so this is you've just sort of given all the gods this personality and again apple to an apple so you were going to compare zeus to odin so you know here's anthony hopkins very shakespearean in the original four you're a vain and greedy boy and and 
bringing this gravitas. And then in Ragnarok, yes, it's technically still Loki, but he has those moments, but just show what a brilliant actor Anthony Hopkins is, where he has those moments of humor. Yeah. You know, that work very well because, again, Thor is being the straight man. He knows it's Loki. He knows it's not his father, Odin. He's playing with them, and that humor comes in. I love that scene so much. It's a great scene. <laughs> the scene where Thor shows up and Odin, Loki Odin, spits oh, his drink out. Oh, crap. <laughs> oh, crap. And, and But this is what I mean. So to say that all these gods are these sort of foolish, selfish, um, orgy-wanting gods. No, Zeus should have been akin to Odin. Yeah, I agree with that completely. You know, he should have had that sort of... Eric is like, how dare you come here to whatever and to face me, Zeus, the king of the gods, or whatever line and, you want to put in there. But that's what it should have been. And if you haven't seen it, or well, if you have seen the movie and you didn't stick, stick for the ending credit scenes, they showed us Hercules... And we now know that Hercules is probably going to be the villain in the next Thor movie, which means we'll see Russell Crowe back as Zeus. And I'm kind of hoping that whoever is, well, it'll probably be Taika Waititi directing the next Thor movie, but I kind of hope they they make Zeus a little bit more serious. Yeah, because, well, first of all, I don't even know who the actor is playing Hercules. Doesn't I mean, if you're going to do that kind of stunt casting and you're going to have somebody play Hercules, can you get somebody that can match Chris Hemsworth in size and... And stature? I don't know who that guy is. Ah, uh, something Goldstein. I, I, I looked him up. Hang on one second. Brett Goldstein, who really seems to... I mean, his most noteworthy credit is Ted Lasso. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with his work, but I mean, let, let's just look at this comparison. So in Thor, our villain is basically Loki, played by Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. You know, Shakespearean-trained actors, right? And then we go to Malekif, which is Chris Eccleston. You know, yeah. from Doctor Who. Again, British actor. Lots of problems. Then we get Kate Blanchett as Hela. Yes. Amazing. I love Kate Blanchett. And now we have Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher. And if those were the best scenes. That scene with him confronting the children was terrifying. It was straight out of a Stephen King novel. It was so Pennywise scary. was scared of him. Yeah. And now, I guess, going into Thor 5... We're going to have Brett Goldstein as Hercules. So here's my... This would be my thought process if the guy wasn't already in his 40s. Because Hercules does become a member of the Avengers. I would think that possibly they would be going for their own Hercules film series. But the problem is I would do that with a guy who's younger. Not a guy who's already in his 40s. Right. That's the part that doesn't make sense to me. Well, a lot of it doesn't make sense to me, Period. Uh, in fact, this movie didn't make sense to me. Uh, because, again, there's all of this undertone. I mean, what do you do when you're at the end of your life and you're, you are sort of searching for that meaning to everything that you've done as Jane is doing and wanting to still contribute and sacrificing herself and her health and her life in pursuit of others? You know, this is... That did not deserve all of this stupid comedy that it got. When you have those moments of Gore the God Butcher being absolutely terrifying, and then, I, I mean, okay, let's go back to the beginning. So Gore has a daughter, and she perishes. And he's willing to allow her to perish because 
he meets the god. He gets to his planet's god. Yeah. And he finds that paradise. And he has been a zealot all of his life, only to be let down by that god. Mm-hmm. And he gets the magic sword, the god killer, if you will. Oh, the necrosword. The necrosword. And he slays that god, and he renounces gods, and he's going to be avenged for losing his daughter and his family and this planet i'm going i'm seeking revenge we have all been there where we've gotten angry at the doctor or angry at the nurse or angry at whomever whoever we're putting our faith in for a loved one dying yeah and we become angry at god for allowing this to happen especially if it's a child so i i have all the empathy in the world for gore the god butcher and then what makes him a villain is the obsessive mania that he turns into where all of these gods are equal and the same. Yeah. And I'm going to kill them all because they're all vain, they're all greedy, and they don't care about us. Well, guess what? In this film, he's right! Yeah, when we meet the the gods in Omnipotent City or whatever they called it, they all seem like vapid idiots. They were! And that... when you see Thor, when you see Loki, when you see when you see Frigga, when you see Odin, they're not vapid morons. These are well-structured people. Yeah, they have their problems. Sure, Chris, um, Thor is a bit dense. Loki is jealous. Odin is very, very strict. severe. Yeah, he's strict. But he's the old, he's old guard royalty. Yeah. But where, why do these, as guardian gods, why do they come off as so well-rounded when the other gods of the universe are just vapid and gluttonous and all of everything else? And when we go back to the first Thor movie and we're introduced to those Norse gods, you see that there's been some nobility. They have had interaction with Midgard. They have, I mean, this is why they were worshipped. Because they had this interaction. So what was the interaction between the Greek gods then and in this universe? Yeah. Not not our universe of, of mythology. Where they, they I, I guess they just interfered for their pleasure. Granted, that happened uh, in, in Greek mythology. So why not go along with that line? I mean, it, it just to make Zeus that kind of a, I don't know. He was more back in Alien than anything. Well, and, and that's... He was Pan-like. Yeah, yeah. And to an extent, I I guess that makes sense because a lot of the Greek gods in mythology have been portrayed that way. Even Zeus to an extent. But for him to just be this goofy old fat guy... I just didn't buy it. I didn't really like that part of it. And for him to sound like Mario was just stupid. But if you, let's compare an apple to an orange now, but it's it's apple-like. So when you compare that to Sir Lawrence Olivier in Clash of the Titans as Zeus, that to me is what Zeus should be like. Yeah. You know, you could still have all of that wonderful humor the way that they did with uh, the Mandarin and it turned out to be Trevor. Yeah. That would have been funny if you had this grandiose Zeus who is 
very Shakespearean in his ways. And it's like, you, how dare you come before me, God of Thunder? I am the God of lightning bolts. And then he comes out and says, okay, baby cakes, don't worry about it. That would have been so much funnier. I don't disagree with you on that. It's, like I said, it was just It was a goofy. mess. It was a mess. And, and I think that that was the problem. That's why I can't enjoy it on the same level as you. Now, speaking of that scene where he's in the gauditorium, if you will, ladies, gentlemen, we get something that I think everybody has kind of been thirsty for since the first Thor. We get a full-on nude butt shot of Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> and I remember saying to you, when it happened, I said, well, there it is. Because we knew it was happening. Didn't know where. And I said, well, there it is. And I turned to you and I said, he truly is an ass guardian. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that scene, though. That that was pretty much the only scene with Zeus I enjoyed because they played it up. Because what happens is Zeus flicks his finger. Because they're in disguise. They're in disguise. So Zeus flicks his finger and there goes all of Thor's clothes. And he just sits there deadpan and says, you flicked too hard. <laughs> And then he turns to the other members of Thor's party, Korg, uh, Valkyrie, and Jane, and threatens to flick them. And they're like, and they take off their disguise and go, "Oh, it's okay. You don't have to flick us." And I just, I thought that was funny. And I thought that was what was great is that they're sitting there and they're all living for Thor being naked. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like Val and uh, Jane are just like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> they yeah. turn into a pair and, of you know, Canadian women. <laughs> none of that is none of that is ever really. It's not out of place. And the thing of it is, like, I don't think any of that has been CGI. Like, they might have cleaned up a few things. But, I mean, Hemsworth, whatever his workout is, holy crap. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. He's also filming the Hulk Hogan movie. Right. So part of that physique is for the Hulk Hogan movie. Well, you know what? Like, it's I'm jealous. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Like, jeez. Um, or, am I jealous? I don't like you right now. So, <laughs> one of the things, though, that we learn from that scene is that he really, truly, deeply misses his brother. Because he has rest in peace Loki tattoo, tattooed all over his back. Yeah. And it's it's a funny scene, but it gives you that, just seeing those tattoos just give you that tiny little feeling of levity there as well. I'm not going to come right into and say this, but I do want to talk about... The children, to me, seemed like a very weak thing. Because, again, lazy writing. Getting back to lazy writing. When did Hemdell have a son? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I would have to go back and and rewatch the other Thor movies. He may have mentioned something about a family in Ragnarok. Sure. But I don't remember it. No. And, you know, so, again, it just felt kind of lazy writing. Because we need him to astral plane to the children somehow. Lazy writing. But I will say... There is a scene, folks, that as much as I'm kind of railing against this movie, and the reason I'm railing against it so hard is because I wanted to like it so much. Because I love the Thor series, even Dark World. I didn't think it was that bad of a movie. I wanted to love this. I didn't want to be conflicted. I didn't want to be confused. Yep. And I am conflicted because for every good thing, there was an equal and opposite horrifically bad thing. But there is a scene... That I applaud, as much as I find it stupid, I applaud. And I'm not going to go into detail, but towards the climax of the movie, please look for the Thor bunny. 
That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, man. So I just want to, as we wrap up our discussion on Thor, I want to talk about something that I think is a really big positive. Now, this is one of the things that's been done that's been really um, in the forefront of Phase 4. Has been done not so well in some of the other movies, but in this movie, it is done brilliantly well. They literally... The, the worlds that's created here is literally ripped out of the art of Jack Kirby, the, one of the creators of Thor. And it looks beautiful. And I love that attention to detail with his work because it really, it really does feel like I'm watching a move, like a live action Jack Kirby movie. To me, that works better in a cartoon than it does a live action film. So I slightly disagree with you. I like the fact, I get what you're saying. It's a nice homage Jack Kirby. To me, I don't like seeing these cartoon aliens in some well, of those live not, action. It's not so much the aliens for me. It's more the settings. The right. settings look beautiful. Like we talked about Doctor Strange. The the eye monster is... It looks goofy as hell. Again, completely ripped out of a Jack Kirby comic. Yeah. But that is an example of what works on the page doesn't necessarily work on the screen. Right. But all the settings that they're using, all the backdrops, everything looks absolutely gorgeous and looks like they have been using Jack Kirby panels as storyboards. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean because every movie is a storyboard first. Yes. And yeah, it just that's how it feels like they're doing it. Yeah, and, and again, like they, they took some great inspiration from two really great comic stories within the Thor world. Yeah. Um, I, I hope at some point that we see Better Ray Bill... <laughs> I would love to see Beta Ray Bill at some point. I really like the character. I was... There was a part of me that was hoping he might just show up, like, with no introduction or anything. Just like, hey, Beta Ray Bill, guys! Um, but yeah, that You know, happen. that would have been great for him to just, like, sort of show up to help fight Gore the God Butcher. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because Doctor Strange has ripped open all of the, uh, the multiverse, so anything could happen. Oh, and that, oh, that would have been brilliant. So, one yeah, of I mean, if you had all these Thors fighting, right? So, you could have had Better A Bill, you could have had Jane, you could have had Frog Thor. That would have been hilarious. So, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this in here. What they could have done if they had, if they had put Better A Bill into this, Better A Bill is able to lift Thor's hammer. That's one of, the, he's worthy. It would have been cool if he could have done the same thing with Stormbreaker, but not initially realize it. He just, at the end, goes and grabs Stormbreaker before it opens up. Well, I, I just think... Anyway, that, anyway, that's speculative. If Better Ray Bill and the Frog Thor had shown up, they would have had their own Mjolnirs. Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, Nick, time of truth, what are you going to rate it? I give it a 6 out of 10. Uh, just because I, I did like it. I thought it was worth seeing. In th I thought it was worthy to see in theater, and I mean, I can't give it lower than that because at the end of the day, I I died laughing at most of it. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of there with you. I I would I'm very I'm giving it just a very slight six out of ten because of all the criticisms I did have of it. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is a Thor movie. I love Chris Hemsworth. I love the goats. I can't deny that that was hysterical. Uh, it's visually appealing, um, and so, but 
for all of those things that they did wrong, it's not a home run for me. Yeah. And this is, so one of the, I think I said it earlier, one of the criticisms I've seen is that this is the second worst MCU film. Honestly, I think it's the second best, but let's face it, the, the, the pickings are slim. I mean, other than No Way Home, the it hasn't been a great set of films. No, no. And I feel like the the MCU, Kevin Feige, have kind of lost direction. Yeah, your daughter had even said, when you asked her, she said, Emma, what did you think of the movie? And she went very mid. Yeah, it was mid. Um, which is, uh, which is the new way of saying it was just meh. So that, and that, that is, again, I mostly felt positive about it. And I find that's kind of interesting that I have more positive feelings about it and yours are a little bit more negative. We still rated it the same for pretty much the same reasons. Yeah. But I digress. Because you're entitled to your wrong opinion. (laughs) You know what? You know what? Once this is done recording, violence will occur. So, no, it will anyway. not. It will not. <laughs> anyway, and anyway uh, folks, that is all the time that we have for this episode of Area 51 and a Half. Nick, please remind our listeners how they can get a hold of us. Well, they can get a hold of us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the Area 51H. And don't forget to check out our Facebook page. Yep, you can find us on Facebook by searching for Area 51 and a Half. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Area 51 and a Half. This is John Allen and Snyderman 501 Nick Snyder. Signing off till next time from Area 51 and a Half. <laughs> Chris had sort of butt. Oh god. <laughs> and those goats. Now, now you know what I, I just made up this.